0: Well, good morning, church family. We can officially call Chillicothe, Ohio our home today. And words cannot express our gratitude to be here and uh, to finally get here and get all, all our stuff unpacked and stuffed in a garage, waited to be sorted, probably half of it thrown out and all that good stuff. But 16 years of life in Indiana And uh, when we went there, we had two children, Christy and I had two children, one on the way, and we left with five, well, four, one's kind of here and there, you know how that goes. And, uh, but we are just absolutely delighted to finally be here. And as the sun set on Friday night and the tears flowed as we were closing that chapter, the sun rose on Saturday morning um, and the path led here. And um we have been looking for that moment all the way through the summer and so i cannot i just cannot express our gratitude for your kindness and your graciousness to us you all have been so so such a blessing and uh, i want to thank everyone who came out yesterday to help get us unloaded and the guys that came up even kind of uh, hit an unexpected things never go the way you want it to and it came out on Uh, Thursday to help us get it loaded and then discovered, well, we're going to need another truck. And so, (laughs) and uh, a lot of clutter, it's got to be uncluttered. But anyway, and, uh, and and also just want to say this, uh, I want to express our appreciation to the kindness you all have shown to us not just over these last couple of months but all the wonderful things that you brought the helpful cards that are going to help us as we land here and get go through the transitions through this week and in the coming days ahead you all really are truly an absolute blessing and uh, and with that in mind i want to invite you to take your bibles and go to first thessalonians chapter 2 while you turn there Um, We're going to preach a message entitled, The Work of the Word. And now begins the work. The work of the word, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and uh, we're going to read verses 13 through 16. I'm going to invite you to stand with me in uh, reverence of the word of God. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, and we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. And drove us out and and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. This is the word of the Lord. Let us bow our heads and pray. God, thank you that we have everything in Christ. Thank you that he is ours forevermore. And thank you that if we lost everything today and we stood just barehanded with nothing in our possession we still have christ and he has us thank you for the salvation that you have given us through him thank you for the calling upon our lives to serve such a wonderful and gracious king and we pray today that as your word is preached that you'll pour out the power of the holy spirit to open our hearts to open our minds so that we will welcome the word so that we will receive it with joy And so that we will leave here ready to not just be hearers of the word, but also to be doers of the word. May you bless your word. And we know that your word will do the work in our hearts. Help us to trust that. Help us to put our faith entirely in your power uh, to do great things in our lives and in this church and in the world for your glory. And uh, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Over the past few weeks, we've been really taking the opportunity to set up some markers for the path ahead, and what are the things that we must be first and foremost committed to. That's really what we've been looking at, and we, we started on a high note with being ready to preach the gospel, and then last week we talked about prayer, a prayer for boldness as we pray to a sovereign God to pour out the power of his Holy Spirit to enable the speaking and preaching of his word. And today I want to turn to a church who so clearly demonstrated in the New Testament its commitment to the word of God. And that's really where I want to take our attention to is that commitment to the word of God to the scriptures, to the Bible that maybe we have open on our apps, on our phones and devices, or we have open physically on our laps. And I want you just to look at verse 13, and I want you to see something that just really jumps out at us. And that is this, that Paul is thankful for a word-driven church. Paul is thankful to God For a congregation of people that God has formed through salvation in the city of Thessalonica that is fully committed to the Bible, to the Word of God. And and that's exactly what he tells the church. He thanks God, look at verse 13, for their reception of the Word of God. His heart is filled with gratitude for them especially after all that he had experienced. In fact, before he got to that city and planted that church, he had been in the city of Philippi preaching the gospel. He and Silas, uh, the uh, minister that was traveling with him, had been thrown into prison. And you can read that in, in Acts chapter 16. And so then he went on to the city of Thessalonica, and what he experienced there was a reception of the preaching of the gospel and the word of God. And, 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 I, and I say that to you because you, you, you might sit here and you might wonder, like, why would he be thankful for a church that receives the word of God, that would be willing to listen to the gospel being preached? And I think what that question comes to our mind because we live in a country and in a culture where church is on every street, right? And so we, we might think that to be odd to thank God for a church Where the gospel is preached again look at verse 13 and we also thank god constantly In other words, this isn't just kind of like a passive thing in his prayer He is always thanking god for these believers in this church For being so willing and open to receive the word And so while that might sound odd to us the question is Should it really be odd? And here's why I say that because folks let's just be real this morning Not every church preaches the gospel. I'm not saying there's no churches out there to preach. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is it is a very evident reality in the present state of things in the country, in the world in which we find ourselves, where there are plenty of, so, there's so many churches that are not preaching the gospel. And I just want to speak personally to you here for just a moment if I can. You are a unique church. I really mean that. I, I'm not just saying that. You you really are a unique church, Chillicothe Baptist Church. If I didn't believe that, if I didn't think that, then I wouldn't have packed up all of our belongings and moved out here to be a part of this church body and to preach God's word. And, and, and just so you know, by God's grace, I, I do plan to be here for a while. <laughs> I don't want to do what we did yesterday really ever again, but that's, that's, that's really a side note, and, and, and I want to illustrate, you say, well, why, why do you say that? Because here, here, let me just give you a few things that I have been expressing thankfulness for over the last few months, and I mean, from the, from, from, from the word go, when this whole process started, of, 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 possibly coming here to serve as your pastor, one, I am thankful for the expectation for biblical preaching. I, I mean that. I, I mean, it was one, I think it was a Thursday night. I got on, I got on uh, the SBTS, Southern's website, where I usually went and looked at to see uh, of what opportunities might be out there. And I'm scrolling and scrolling. And then, and then all of a sudden I scrolled. Then I'm like, wait, I just saw something. I backed up and they're right in the description of what is expected from the pastor that would serve this church is it, and this is the wording, it is expected that the pastor will preach expository sermons. And I thought, I've not seen that. And I mean that. I had not seen that on any other description of a congregation, that that was the expectation. I mean, the reality is that's the calling of any minister of the gospel. That's the calling of any pastor. But to see that clearly emboldened, I mean, in clear, like, spaces in between that sentence, this is what we expect. And I thought, well, I would expect no less from a church to want that. And so I am just thankful for that. And then from the moment we got here to just candidate, I am so thankful for the teaching of the word that is going on all throughout this building. In every ministry, and all of you that are contributing to the work of the gospel by faithfully teaching. I mean, this was a conversation piece when we drove home that Sunday after you'd extended the call. That it was such a blessing to be with people who are hungry for the truth. And want to dive into the word of God. And want to hear Christ proclaimed. I mean, I am just thankful for that. And then the other thing is, I'm so thankful for word-driven, word-saturated worship. I love hearing you sing. I love singing with you. And that was another thing as a family that we processed. That it is clear to us that there is a high view of the word of God here. And, and 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 i really think that that needs to be said to you and i think that you need to really think about that as a church because that's not everywhere it really is not and that's not to boast on you or us or anything but simply to to exalt the work of god here in this place Because not everybody sees that. I mean, what we see going on all over the place is a high view of man, a low view of God, and the Bible has something to say. And when it's convenient, we can bring it in when it serves our purposes. Rather than us coming to the Word of God, submitting ourselves to the Word of God, and allowing the Word of God to drive everything that takes place in the life of the church. That, friends, is a healthy church. That's not a perfect church. We're all sinners that have been saved by grace. That's not naive. That, that's not naivety. That is just simply expressing the reality. And I've experienced this over the years that sometimes you're just in the busyness of doing, of of being a part of a church, being, uh, doing, working in ministry that you don't, you're, you're kind of in the four walls and you don't realize like, wow, there's something unique that God is doing here. And Christ is the center of all of that. Paul is thankful for a word-driven church. Are you? I want you to be. And and that commitment to the Bible and to the truth, it is something to be thankful for because it is really built on this idea. It is built on this idea that is seen right here in verses 13 through 16, and it is this. It is the idea or the truth that the word of god is sufficient for the work of god that's the truth that we need to see this morning that's the marker we need to plant as we move forward as you pray for the preaching of the word and as we do the work of ministry that that the that the word of god is sufficient for the work of god and because that is true there are three things in this passage that have to take place, that must take place, must continue. And here's the path through the text. One, the word must be declared. Two, the word must be received. And three, the word must be trusted. That's what, that, that's what and, and I realize there's these overlaps as we look at these themes, but I just want us to really focus in on the truth that the word of God is sufficient for the work of God and how the word must be declared, received, and trusted. So let's let's walk through that this morning. Number one, the word must be declared. The first thing in this verse is an implication. Look at verse 13. Look at what, look what Paul writes as he's expressing this 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 statement of gratitude. In verse 13, he says, we thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, pause, look at the text, which you heard from us. Do you see the implication to hear means something was declared. And you can go to Acts chapter 17 and verse 1 through 9 and you can see when Paul and Silas went to the city, when they preached in the synagogues, and what God did through the preaching and declaration of the word. Over the past couple of weeks, we've emphasized the importance of the preached word. But what I want you to consider this morning are two things that, are, that, that approach the declaration of the word from a different angle. And here's what I mean. Preaching is far more than just preparing a sermon and preaching on Sunday or any other given day. That's what you see in the text. And the first thing you see here is, under this declaration, is this. It's, it is declared or transmitted through men, through human beings, through God, men that have been called to preach the word. Again, look at the text, the word of God which you heard from us go back to Acts chapter 17. I want to read just two verses from when Paul and Silas went to the city of Thessalonica. And you can turn your Bibles there. Acts 17 verse 1 and 2, listen to this. When Paul and Silas arrived in the city of Thessalonica, they went into the synagogues, listen, as was their custom. In other words, this was an unusual On the Sabbath days, and in in particular three Sabbath days, they went into the synagogues, and listen to what it says. And he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Did you hear that? If you're there, underline it. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer And to rise from the dead saying this jesus whom I proclaim declare to you is the christ In that simplicity There was it it was that simple. What did paul do? He went into the synagogues He opened the scriptures or in that case the scrolls and he reasoned with the people from the word He reasoned with them from the word Explaining to them and showing them evidence from the word what? some idea he came up with, some, some new concept he wanted to sell. No. He reasoned with them from the scriptures to show them that Jesus had to go to the cross and die to be buried and to be raised from the dead in order for salvation and forgiveness of sin to come to all people. Jesus had to do that and he wanted them to see it from the text. That's what he did. And so they reasoned from the scriptures. That word reason, they just laid it out in a, in a patterned manner from the Bible. In other words, they said, look here, see this? Hear what the text says. Listen to Isaiah and what he writes in Isaiah 53. I mean, this, this was the way that they would have, would have presented the truth. The observation is this. There wasn't chaos or disorder in these, in these gatherings. They didn't set their minds aside. Trek with me on this they reasoned. they didn't take their brains and just leave it aside and just have an emotional worship service They, They they didn't they didn't set their minds aside to get the crowd roaring and everyone stirred into a frenzy They reasoned from the scriptures Connecting the dots and drawing the lines so that people from the word would see and understand that jesus is the savior They were men Using using their reasoning, the one question that we often ask is, "How does reason play into the whole activity of presenting the Word of God?" It's simple. We use our brains, and that's that's how it is. We we use our brains. We are created beings. And preaching is a a physical act. It's presenting the truth. The people that listen, they use their brains. They don't just absorb what's being said. They hear what's being said. They look to the authority. The authority is not the man in the pulpit or the person holding the book. The authority is the book. This is the authority. And then we use our minds and we say, okay, is what is being said, is that logical is that true and we begin to think through what is being presented to us and what is being presented is being spoken being being told that's why the the, that's why the the statement here is it is transmitted through men it is an it is a human activity i'm not again erasing any by any means ignoring the work of the spirit Who has to do the work in our heart? But my point is, is simply the word being declared is being done through men. They didn't have halos around their heads. They didn't wear majestic robes and hats to suggest that they were more than human. That is Paul and the apostles. I'm sure that if they had powerpoint or screens and other things to communicate, they would have used them. But in the end, all of this is simply to demonstrate they are men and we are people with a mighty message and the message, the gospel, the word of God is the authority. So now that we have that in play, what was the commitment of these men? What was Paul's commitment as a pastor, as a preacher, as a teacher of the word? Well, to get that. I told you I wanted to come at this at two different angles. One was just to simply show the humanity of those that preached. And then the second thing is to show you their commitment. Look at their commitment. To understand their commitment to the preached word, you have to roll through the first 12 verses. Now, I'm not going to do that, like, entirely, but I do want to glance at these 12 verses. And I want you to see a snapshot of the commitment of these men to the word of God. And as we walk through that, think about our own commitment. Here are about six things that we can be committed to. Number one, every pastor, every minister of the gospel certainly should be committed to these things. One, be bold in all circumstances. Look at verse 2. Back it up and look at the, look at the beginning of the chapter. For you ourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, As you know, we had boldness in our God to do what? To declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from air or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery as you know Nor with a pretext for greed god is witness Nor did we seek glory from people whether Whether from you or from others though. We could have made demands as apostles of christ So look at the boldness there the boldness in all circumstances They suffered they were treated shamefully, but they had boldness to declare the gospel even in the midst of conflict and so While we're ready to preach the gospel i'm ready to preach the gospel i'm ready to administer the ordinances i'm ready to do these things The reality is is that we must be bold in all circumstances that means they have courage to speak the truth with love and clarity Do you remember in acts chapter 20 verse 27 when paul says this to the to the ephesian elders he says i did not shrink from preaching He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What that means is, is Paul didn't shy away from preaching what is in Scripture. To shrink would be to be cowardice, to walk away from. Instead, he says, I preach to you the whole counsel of God. He didn't avoid anything in Scripture. He didn't pick and choose what he would say. Instead, he upheld the word with love and with clarity. That's what it means to be bold in all circumstances It means to not ignore anything. That's why expository preaching is so important Because when you preach the text verse by verse you can't look at something and say well that might be too offensive Or that might not be relevant or that might make people mad. No, you have to preach the whole counsel of god But look at the second thing there seek to please god rather than man That's another commitment that they had We should preach and teach with the aim of pleasing God, not man. This guards our methods and it guides our motives as you see in these verses. He avoided flattery. He wasn't trying to win applause. He wasn't attempting to build a name for himself. He he had no pretext for greed. This wasn't about making money. It was about being faithful to the proclaimed word. But there's one other thing that I want you to see here about their commitment. Look at this. They shared their life with the church. Share your life with the church. Paul writes, look at verse, look at verse 8. Look what he says. Jump, jump to verse 7 and 8. Look, look what Paul says here. He says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, watch, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. I just want to park there for just a second. Do do you see how all of this supports preaching? Share your life with the church. I love Paul's emotion here. He's tender and he's caring. And, and, And so While we come to church and we hear preaching and we administer the ordinances, we evangelize the lost, we give and support missions, we serve in fellowship together. But do you realize that gospel ministry is more than that? It's about intersecting life together. We share our lives together as the people of God. Ministry is rejoicing together. It is weeping together. It is bearing burdens for one another. It is praying together. Ministry is not an event. It's not something that happens one day uh, during the week. It's not a job or profession. It is an investment in the people of God. He even tells the church of Corinthians, I'm ready to come and pour myself out into your life. That's what ministry is. And so it's an example of this the other day. As I was cleaning out things, we, we came across all these boxes that have cards in it. I, I don't know what you do with cards. I don't. I, why do we hold on to them? I, I don't quite know why we hold on to them. So we we're going through them, and I kept all the ones that were for my wife, for me, and told her that she should keep these to be reminded of our our history together. And I was flipping through, and then I came across this note that was from a friend From the church where I'd pastored for 15 years And I opened it up I was outside and I I read it and It said i'm thankful to have you as my friend and my pastor It has been a blessing to serve our king together I closed the letter And the tears began to well up my eyes Because about two years after that letter was sent he was one of the elders in our church he walked up in the middle of a church, at the end of a church service. And he walked forward and he grabbed my hand and he said, he, whispered, and I didn't, he yet never came forward in church service. And he whispered in my ear, he said, I just found out that, he said, brother, I found out that I have, um, I have cancer. And I've been given six months to four years to live. He had seven children. He was in his mid 50s. And there we embraced, in the, it, there, right, you know, right there in the front of the congregation, and we shared our tears. And, and then we went on a journey together all the way to the point where he went home to be with the Lord. That's ministry. That's declaration of the word. It's far more than just standing and opening and presenting a sermon. It's sharing life together. It's weeping together. It's rejoicing together. It's serving one another. It's extending the grace of the gospel outside of the walls of the church. Ministry and declaration of the word, it flows into all these other aspects of, of, of service and ministry together. And so that's what it means to share your life with the church. One other thing, real quickly, lead with care and love like family. That's another commitment. Paul says that he was, he, in verse 7, he says, like a nursing mother ta- taking care of her own children. He has, in these verses, Paul uses the role of a mother. And then in verse 11 to 12, he says, in verse 11 and 12, jump down. He says, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul says, I I lead with care and love like a family. Pastors must love and care to nurture the flock and lead with encouragement like a father. Dads can encourage in two ways. We can encourage positively, with exhortation, or with discipline. But that's what Paul, he exercises this this leading like a family. There's these roles here. And then he says in verse 9, He says in verse 9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul exerted himself in prayer and in study and in labor for the care of the church. And so while ministers must not neglect their health or their family, they must be devoted to the work of ministry in the word for the life, spiritual life of the church. And then the final commitment is this, he was committed to be an example in holy living. This is not a call to perfection, because no one is. No pastor is perfect. Sharing life means also seeing our flaws and our blemishes, knowing that we lean on Christ. But, but do, do you see here what he says in, when he says in verse 10, you are witnesses and God also knows how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers for the sake and spiritual life of the church. Now you say, why did you walk through all of those six things? Because to declare the word means that we declare the word as simple human beings. But we declare the word with a commitment to these truths, these principles. Do we see our ministry is far more than preaching on Sundays? All pastors who are mere men must pursue these things and pray for these things as we declare the word of God. And we as believers must pray for these things as well. That leads us to a second observation. So we declare the word, but we also then see that we receive the word. Look at verse 13 again. The text says, And we thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work at you believers. So really, we went through those first 12 verses to see how declaration is characterized. But here you see the church's response to the word. And there are three verbs here in this verse that show that our faith is entirely word-based from beginning to end. But I want to look first here at two specific ways that the word is received. One, the Bible is the welcomed word. Do you see that in the text? The Bible is the welcomed word. Notice their attitude towards Scripture. Scripture. It says that they received it not as the word of men. In other words, the Bible and the message of the gospel is not the word or words of human beings. We've already established that in the declaration. But it is here that we recognize something. They were able to hear the preaching from the word and realize that it was right and faithful. Now, all of us in this room have turned on our televisions and we've watched the TV preachers, and I can name a few, but I won't. And how many of us, at some point or another, we've listened to a sermon or someone on television and we'd said, and we have said, "Now, wait a minute, that is not what the text says. That is not what that verse is saying." I remember we were at this little conference somewhere. It was out in the Midwest, and and uh, somebody was getting up and they were they were preaching on John the Baptist, and. And the illustration was that, that this text about John the Baptist, and John the Baptist came and, you know, he's preaching in the wilderness, and the whole point of the sermon was seven reasons why we should be Baptist. My kids turned around and looked at me, and they're like, that's not what the text says. And I'm like, just listen, just listen, just listen. We'll talk about it later. But you see what I'm saying? We have to have that kind of spirit in us, Right? No sermon is preached perfectly, but a perfect word of God has to be preached. And we have to have the discernment to be able to say, yes, that's what the text is saying. And so we've all also seen the Bible used as as a means to prop up a human idea or to support a cause. When Scripture is twisted and manipulated and misused in order to uphold something that might be good, but it's not what the Scripture is actually teaching. So we say, what does that mean for us as as the people of God? What it means is, is that it requires us to know our Bibles, how the scripture unfolds, how it fits together in God's plan of salvation. And then to be able to properly interpret scripture and rightly apply it. We have to be able to sit in here preaching and teaching and say, that's right. That's true. That's accurate. While the Spirit helps us in that endeavor, we also have to be diligent in preparing our own minds and hearts to have that discernment. I'm going to give you just a little hint of, because you may think, well, wow, so that what does that require? A seminary degree? Actually, no. You want to know how I learned how the Bible fits together? How I, how I learned how... How from Genesis to Revelation, it's God's plan of redemption and that the center of all of Scripture is Jesus Christ reading children Bible books to my kids. That's how I learned. That was the best That was the best seminary education is, is reading so many good storybook Bibles. And I'm not suggesting they're equivalent to scripture. What I am saying though, they were helpful so that when you're in the word of God, you can see how all the pieces lock together and unfold Jesus to all of us. And I have a handful that I would recommend to everyone. So, when they heard the proclamation of the truth, they were able to say, that's not from men, that's from God. And we've all heard that had that experience where we're hearing the preaching of the word and our spirit are in, in link with what is being said. And we're like, yes, that's true. But notice it's not just that they're able to say it's not the word of, this is not the word of men. They're able to say it is the very word of God. Look at what, he, what they, look how they received it. For what it really is. So Paul saying the word of God is the word of God not because we subjectively say it's the word of God The word of God is the word of God whether we say it or not But it is our responsibility to receive it as what it really is The word of God And so what then do we have to affirm about scripture? Here, here's where we see this attitude progressing These people already had a conviction that the Bible is the Word of God. They understood that the Bible is divine in its origin and that God is its divine author. And because Scripture originates with God, it is also inerrant. You know what that means? It just simply means this it means that the Bible has no errors and that it has no mixture of error. It is entirely truthful, it is completely reliable. And it is fully trustworthy. You can put your faith in what Scripture reveals and put your faith in the person of this Scripture, which is Jesus Christ. That's the kind of attitude we want to have. We want to have a commitment to the Word, and we want to cultivate our confidence in Scripture as we walk and we live our Christian lives. And so what it also means is, is that as we, the Bible is the welcomed word, it's not the word of men. It is the word of God. We, we recognize that it's divine in its origin. We also recognize it is inerrant without error. But we also recognize that it is absolutely sufficient for our lives. What the Bible offers to us is an authority that is above experience, circumstance, emotion, or anything else in our lives education social science entertainment none of those things are adequate to tell us who we are who god is what his will for our lives is and where we will go when we die our culture says that we must look within to discover our true selves as well as to determine truth and the bible calls us to look outside of ourselves to the god of revelation to the god who has come to us in christ And there is no place for, and therefore in the culture, there's no place for the truth of sin and the need of redemption. That's why we put our faith in the sufficiency of Scripture. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture because the gospel is enough to save sinners and transform our lives. And when the gospel is enough, when the gospel is enough, here's what will happen. What will happen is we will. Be able to see its relevance to every issue in our lives But when the bible is not enough Here's what will happen in the life of the church I'm telling you this is what will happen when the bible is is not enough Then the church will turn to political activism therapy and psychology self-help moralism Social media and entertainment to replace the sufficiency of scripture to speak into our lives with the gospel So that's the attitude of the welcome word. If my attitude as I welcome the word is, is this attitude that says, listen, it's not the word of men, it is the word of God, then what is the action? What is the response that we should have? Well, they heard it. Look at the verbs in the text. They heard it, they received it, they accepted it. They heard it, they received it, they accepted it. In other words, they were active listeners any teacher knows what that is an active listener is one that's not staring at you but then thinking about a hundred other things an active listener is one that's hearing and they're receiving and then they're it's playing out in whatever it is they're being instructed to do and so they heard it they were active listeners have you ever said to your kids are you listening wives have you ever said to your husband are you listening Husbands, have you ever said yes, but I have selective listening practices? Sure you have. So here what you have is they're active listeners. They heard and they received, and what they did is they welcomed it. That is literally the impl- that, that literally is the connotation of this word receive. They welcomed it like a friend coming to visit your home for the first time. And they walk in, and you embrace, and you hug, and you invite them to stay. You have them sit down. You offer them coffee. You welcome them into your home. That's exactly what their response to the word of God is. They welcomed it. They received it. They were not just open to it. They opened the door, and they allowed it to come into their hearts. But they accepted it with the right attitude, yes, but to, ex- to accept means they personally embraced it. You know, you can hear and you can even receive, but you have to appropriate the Word of God to yourself. I've told my kids all the time, I've said it over and over again to people, it must become your faith. Some of you may have be here today, and you've heard the gospel, you've heard the Bible, you've heard the truth, and but here's the reality: you can't go to heaven on the faith of your parents or other people. You must accept it for yourself. When I was in college, early on in college, and there was this, this moment where I realized, no, I I really believe this. It's not just the faith I grew up with. This is this is a faith that I own now because I truly have my confidence in Christ. What about you? You say, well, how will I know that I've truly accepted it? You'll confess it with confidence. You'll be able to say, I have absolutely no doubt, no doubt in my mind that this is the truth of God and that Christ is the Savior and the gospel is my only hope and that I want to live my life for him. So the Bible is the welcome word. But there's one other thing that I want you to see in this passage about receiving. It is also the working word. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, Which is at work in you believers. Don't you, don't you like that? It's at work. Well, when we when we start working through the book of Colossians together, that's one of the featured statements is that the gospel is like its own power. And it's it's what's doing the work in the hearts of God's people. And so this has to do with the transforming power of the word in the life of the people. And you know, one of the blessings of enduring ministry, that means being in ministry together for years and years, is sometimes it takes years and years to see God's work, word working in people's lives. And so, and so Paul says, it has transforming power. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 1. You know what it says? In, the, in, the, in his opening of the letter, he says, the word went forth, and here's the report we're getting. The report that's going all over the world is that you Thessalonians have turned from idol worship to the true and living God and devoted yourself in service to Jesus Christ. It has transforming power. In other words, Paul says here that the Bible that is welcome will be the Bible that also does the work in the hearts of God's people. Because only scripture can cut through our minds and our hearts and reveal the intentions of our motives and transform us from the inside out. Ceremonies can't do that. Rituals can't do that. That's why the reformers when the, in, the, in, the Re, in the Reformation returned away. They turned away from all the rituals and they turned back to the word of God because this has the power to pierce the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So let me ask you a question. Is the Bible the welcomed word in your life? Is it? I certainly can say as a church, I see this, but I can't speak for every individual here. Is the Bible the welcome word? Has the gospel worked in your life, transforming you? But there's one last thing quickly, and it's this. The word must be trusted. Verse 15 and 16. So he says, for you suffered, sorry, verse 14. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God. There's the transformative power. In Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. And then he says, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that might be saved. So the last thing I want you to see is not just that the word must be declared, the word must be be received, the word must be trusted. We trust the word in opposition. That's what you see here. Paul says here that the people who believed in these pagan cities were treated the same way the churches of God in Judea and Jerusalem. Notice the accusations that Paul makes against those who oppose the gospel. They killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. They drove the apostles out of the city. They sought to hinder them from preaching the gospel. They wanted to stop the word of God. And they displeased God. So here's the point. Trust this. Trust this even in opposition. Because there will be opposition, we said this last week, to the grace of God revealed in the gospel. And I was thinking about this. I think the reaction is always intensified by human righteousness in religion. The reason there's such a forceful opposition, because when it says that the Jews were opposed to the gospel going to the Gentiles, that really wasn't, that's not an ethnic statement. That's an actual statement about the reaction of religion to the gospel. Why were they so intense about stopping the Word of God? Because the gospel offends our sense of our own righteousness. Think about it. What is the message of our secular culture? Do this, do that. Lists and lists and lists. If you want to be forgiven, if you want to be in, if you want to be good, if you want to be accepted, if you want to be righteous, if you want to be forgiven, then you've got to do all these things. What does the gospel come and do? The gospel says, no, you're all wicked, you have no righteousness, nothing to offer God to make you acceptable. But God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, who was sinless and perfect to die on the cross and to be buried, to be raised from the dead. And only through him can you be saved. And we're stunned by that. Just the other day, I was, there's this, I think there's this documentary, I've not seen it, won't see it, but it's about Jeffrey Dahmer. And so I think there was some advertisement or some kids were talking about it. And one of my kids asked me, he's like, what, have you heard of this guy, Jeffrey Dahmer? And I made the statement, did you realize that he made a profession of Christ before he was killed in prison? And my daughter looked at me and said, really? Do you think that he became a Christian? And I said, I know this, that if anyone believes in their heart, That Jesus Christ died on the cross and was raised from the dead, and commit themselves to Him, they will be saved. And the mystery of the gospel is how a Billy Graham, a Jeffrey Dahmer, and every sinner in between who's been saved by God's grace will be praising the same Christ forever and ever. That offends our sense of righteousness. Wait a minute, he shouldn't be there. No, he couldn't have been saved. And while I don't know the ultimate end of any person, what I'm saying is, that's the power of the word. And the word will be opposed and nothing, and and when the word is opposed, nothing could be more displeasing to God. But I must move quickly. The last thing here is, we trust the word to endure. They tried to hinder it, they have tried to stop it. That's been the history of the church. But they couldn't. And what Paul says here is, he says, all they did in trying to stop the word is fill up the measure of their sins and the wrath of God has come upon them eternally. That's what it means to say at last. In other words, just to give you this in summary, because I want to close, is all the attempts to stop the, the word of God from working were futile and in vain. The people that tried to do this were just heaping on themselves greater judgment and wrath. Wrath. We see that same activity today and people do that out of ignorance more than anything But here's the truth. I want you to see we can trust the word of god to endure It cannot be hindered heard john MacArthur make this statement When he was asked what he would tell a younger john MacArthur Who was entering ministry? He said I would have been less concerned about structure how things were organized change the shape of things Come up with new ideas and I would have just waited on the power of the word to do its work And so, what we need to do is, we need to simply know this. This text shows us that the Word will do the work. I have never preached a sermon where the Word hasn't worked on me. And when it comes to what is ahead of us, let us preach the Word, receive the Word, and trust this Isaiah 55. My Word, so shall my Word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I purpose. And it will succeed in the thing for which I sent it to do. Do you believe the word of God will endure? Do you trust in Jesus and take him at his word? In conclusion, as we think about these three things, declaring the word, receiving the word, trusting the word, I want to end with a reference of church history. When Martin Luther stood before the emperor after that long night of prayer I told you about last week, he notably responded to the emperor who demanded that he recant all that he had been teaching from the word of God and all that he had written. And he famously said to the emperor, and at this point he's a young man, probably in his early 20s, he said this, he said, unless I am convinced by the testimony of scriptures, Or by evident reason, I am bound by scripture, adduced by me, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. And he said, I cannot, I will not recant anything, for it is neither safe nor right to act against one's conscience. God help me, amen. And at that point, he thought he was going to be killed. But here's what I think is interesting. Some 40 years later, before he dies, here's what Martin Luther had to say about all that had happened in the Protestant Reformation. Here's what he said. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then while I slept, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor inflicted such damage upon it. I did nothing. The word did it all. Isn't that powerful? So let me ask you, do you believe the word of God is sufficient to do the work of God? Do you believe that in your own life, where you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and have been transformed by him? I am so thankful to be here with you all. I don't have all the answers of what is ahead of us, what things we'll try, what things we won't try, what things will work, and what things won't work. And I can tell you this, nothing will be perfect. But hear me, the word of God is sufficient to do the work of God. And at the end, may it be said, the word did it all. Let's stand. As we stand, I'm going to pray as the worship team comes. This is a time for us to respond to the word of God. As we sing and we lift the praise to our king, let us in our own hearts ask ourselves, will we pray for the declaration of the word? Will we receive the word? with right hearts, and will we trust the Word? And today, if you're here and you're not saved, now's the time for you to call on the Lord to save you, and He will save you. Perhaps that's happened. Perhaps you've made a commitment to Christ. Maybe there's some other need in your life. After I pray, I'll be down here in the front, and I'm happy to receive you and pray with you, and there will be others that will be willing to pray with you as well. But right now, let us respond to the preaching of the Word as we sing How Firm a Foundation, and before we do that, let us pray. God, this is your Word. Imperfectly proclaimed, but yet your word is perfect. And so we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that you will accomplish your work through your word despite us. And so I pray, Lord, that you will do a work in our hearts, that we'll evaluate our attitudes towards the scriptures, that God, that we will that we will pray to have hearts that are ready to receive. And that, God, that we will trust your word to endure and to do the work that none of us can. Thank you, God, for for your truth. Thank you for these people here today and how dear they are. And, God, may you work in their hearts as we sing, standing on the firm foundation of our faith in Christ. In his name, amen.